Coming up, Fred Willard joins Ileana in just a minute. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV shows. Hi, everyone. I'm Ileana Douglas. Welcome to the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. I'm here with Tamara Bird. Hi, everybody. Tamara. And I'm so excited to be talking to, uh, coming up, talking to Fred Willard, the king of improvisational comedy. Practically invented it. He appeared on the Johnny Carson show more than 50 times. Wow. Doing with the, he was part of Doing sketches, right? Doing sketches and part of the Ace uh, Trucking Company and... uh, that was a precursor to Saturday Night Live, too. So, yeah. Um, part of the fabric of comedy. Uh, and we had his TV wife, Faith Prince, here just yes. a couple weeks ago. Yes. And, Delightful uh, Faith Prince. And Fred is, is, is hysterical. We were going to talk a little bit about doing improvisational comedy and how challenging it is. As I, there is, I saw Fred interviewed and when he was first going to be working with Christopher Guest. Mm-hmm. It was like, this is amazing. I get to make up all my lines. Oh, oh no. I have, I have to, to make up all, all my, lines. my lines. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it's like, where do you begin? Right. When you just get an outline. So where do you begin, Ileana? Well, I've been a part of a couple uh, improvisational movies that Fred was in. One was called Can't Stop Dancing. It was about fictional dance groups. Um, like c- competition dance? Yeah, competition okay. dancing. Mm-hmm. And uh, God, it was so long ago, I think I was in a scene with Taylor, the late Taylor Negron. But oh. I always start with, uh, you know, um, just I always I want to know what other people are doing. You don't, you know, want to do what they're doing, and 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 the costume and the hair and makeup is going to be. And then um, the other movie I did was All Stars, which just just came out kind of last year, and Fred Willard's in that, mm-hmm. and that was a playing a baseball coach. And originally they you wanted, were playing a baseball coach. Yes, they uh-huh. wanted me to be a base um, a parent. It was about parents and uh, getting involved with uh, little league their, and that kind of exact with a girls um, softball league. Got it. And I didn't want to be a parent. I wanted to be a coach because I'd played softball in school. So I thought it would be a little bit more fun. So I play, so you know I just decided I wanted to be a really mean coach because I had a really mean coach, and I thought that could just be potentially funny. And so you look at and see what other people are are doing. But I I wore a lot of my I wore I had my own glove and sure. So you have a basic outline of what you're going to do, but I think the challenge and Fred's going to be a real expert talking about this. But it's it's playing music because you're seeing what it, the tendency is that everybody just wants to say something funny to be in the movie. Right. So you have to kind of lay back and see what everybody is 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 doing and then see how you can add to this, you know, and I, um, I find it to be challenging. I know when we did Easy to Assemble, I wanted it to appear as if it was right. improvisational, but it was completely scripted. So it was more like in the Albert Brooks uh, method. Little things come out, or but I don't, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily a huge fan of being. I, I like watching improvisational comedy, but I find it uh, incredibly stressful, right? To you know, 
Because you're continually reinventing, and because it's not like you do the same thing each. Even even within takes, you change, don't you? Right. So that so therefore you're doing something. So when I was, you know, we were doing the baseball movie, and I, you know, you I come up with something really funny, like I was, you know, yelling at my daughter, "What's the matter with you? What are you going to do? Cry, you know, cry," and and. You know, you say something and then, you know, the director comes up to you and goes, that's great. Like, just say the same things. And you go, I, what did I say? I have no idea. Like, I can't, you can't really remember what you say and, and uh, must be very tough to edit. And of course, working with Fred and I just interviewed Fred with the uh, TCM Film Festival. Uh Uh-huh. And I would say when you when you work with Fred, you always have to turn your back because he's just too funny. And then he, of course, ad libbed on the spot. He said, "Oh, is that why? Is that what was happening? Everybody was turning their back on me. I thought it was something else." Oh my gosh! Uh, But he's uh, he's he's the king of it. So So now, when you say you you learn what other people are doing, is that is that sort of your informal process, or is in in the experiences that you've had in working with Fred, is there a more formal like? Here's the story. These are the points we have to hit. You need to essentially get this, the gist of this line, and you need to make this action. I mean, is that yeah? Is that how it goes? I mean, you just get the general story of that. This is going to be like, for instance, the baseball movie that you know. that there's these different teams and one team's going to win and that, you know, they're giving out these trophies and you just decide, you just sort of figure out, well, how does this serve, you know, the, the scene, the best. Yes, John. Yes. A question for the question. Yes. Yes. Ileana, if I may. Yes. Sure. Do they establish the relationships for you? Like for instance, this is this, this person and this is how you, this is how you respond or feel about them. Or do you just decide in the moment? Well, it's a combination. So, you know, when we when we did um, All Stars, the director Lance said, you know, you're Billy, you're going to be this coach, and and you're sort of tough, and you know, you immediately start saying, do I have a husband? Can I be divorced? Right. Uh, maybe that's why I'm bitter. You know, right. so you start immediately. Doing your backstory. I think, yeah, you just don't want to be a jerk. Well, why is she tough? You right. know, maybe she's going through a divorce. Maybe, you right. know. Um, so there's, you know, there's, uh, and, and then from experiences you've had, seeing other, you know, as I said, coaches, and uh, you build upon it in, in that way, always sort of trying to make it truthful. I think that's the biggest thing, is mm-hmm. like not doing something funny just because... You want to say something funny or it, it, it trying to be, you know, trying to be real. But and the other big improvisational movie I did, which was called Pittsburgh, that was a fascinating hybrid because that was based on a real life experience of Jeff Goldblum doing the music man in Pittsburgh. And, you know, so they were going to be filming and, you know, he thought it would be a funny idea. Like, let's all build a script as to I'm really doing the show, and so you know he, uh, I was in the show in the real in the Music Man as was Ed Bagley, and so we really did the Music Man like we really performed. People paid money; they saw us. Mm-hmm. Then we wrote parts for ourselves as to why that fictionally that we were doing the Music Man, and that became the movie Pittsburgh, which has a lot of fans because it really does seem insane that Jeff Goldblum would be doing would <laughs> be in the man. music man, you know. Right. So we all built storylines and 
you know, around that. And at the time, I was friends with Moby. So I said, oh, can I got to get Moby in the movie. So, you know, we came up with the idea of, you know, maybe Moby can be doing like a, you know, a rap version of The Music Man <laughs> and try, you know. So we're we just started at it, and that was kooky. But so much was of it, there was there any liquor involved in the conception of this idea? I just no, no, no. It was all it was an organic idea because Jeff was really going to do the Music Man. That's crazy, and it was so crazy that we thought, well, this would be a funny idea to do. Uh, do a film around it. It we had so much that ended up on right. the cutting room floor right. uh, that that was the kind of the tragedy. Is we had a storyline where I had a stalker. Um, some of the stuff was surreal. Like for instance, I was doing another movie called Alchemy, and we I said you know what would be funny is like you should have me on the set and let's have the director of that movie be saying like look you're not even thinking. You're going to do the music man, you know, you're going to do the music man. So, again, we had the real director of uh, Alchemy. Uh, they really filmed on that set. I went, you know, Moby was uh, involved in this parade. He didn't know when we were going to show up. All he knew is that we were going to show show up. And, and so all we knew for a storyline was that he was going to break up with me in this crowd. And we were, <laughs> we were going to film it. And we just started doing it. And there were people going, not good, dude. Really bad form, not dude. Not cool. And it was, people thought he was so hard. And afterwards, he was really shaken. He said, God, oh that was, t- everybody hated me. Like, you know, and I said, it's okay. It's just, re-, you know. But it was the adrenaline of that. And Jeff was going on talk shows. And it was kind of like, wow. what is, that was a little bit of a hybrid because it was really what is real and what is not real. Yeah. And that was an amazing uh, experience. I really, wow. I really like that. How um, long ago was this? I think we did that in 2007. Okay, we great. did Pittsburgh. That was a great uh, film experience. It's it's funny that Fred Willard is not in that. He's in every other great right. improvisational movie. Right. Well, let's bring yeah, him let's in. Let's bring He's, him in. Yeah, let's do. He, of course, uh, uh, you know him from all the Christopher Guest movies. This is Spinal Tap, Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, The Mighty Wind, For Your Consideration. He's been nominated for multiple Emmys for Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, Modern Family, Roseanne, of course, and uh, What's Hot, What's Not. He's also a big movie lover himself. Fred Willard. Hello. Hi, Fred. This is going to be so much fun. I hope so. You know, I have an observation. It has nothing to do with movies. Yes. I I drove along looking for your studio. Yes. And you look for, for street numbers. Yeah. And most places will have their name. And their phone number, and no street number. And I don't know why, if you arrive at a place, why you'd need their phone number. <laughs> your, your, your studio had its, had its address. But, all right, let's talk movies. No, I, but I like, do you, when you're driving in the, uh, uh, L.A. seems to me to have kind of funny, I, I'm obsessed with, like, funny names of businesses. And oh. Like, how did they come up with that? You know, Curry in a Hurry. You know, do you find humor when you're in the car looking at Southern California? Yeah, kind of. But usually I'm (laughs) looking for some address on some street. I've never figured out where Morrison is in Burbank and Oxnard. And it's just, yeah. And I'm a Thomas Guide guy. I'll get out my Thomas Guide. Because I I like to know from when I'm starting where I'm going. I don't. You need contact. I can't believe they even still make a Thomas Guide. They may not, but. I'm the, just hoping uh, they don't change the streets that much. 
Um, well, we always talk in the beginning about the first movies you saw, and we just introduced uh, the court jester yes. at, at TCM. And was was Danny Kaye like? What were your first movie going uh, experiences? Was he one of them, Danny Kaye? He he was. Um, when I was in my kind of formative years, before I knew I wanted to be in show business, mm-hmm. obviously, who influenced me? Danny Kaye, Red Skelton, Bob Hope. Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, mm-hmm. uh, Abbott and Costello, of course, I like. Later years, I watch them and I say some of their bits are a little bit strained. But when they <laughs> when they get cla- when they get really funny, they're, yes. they're wonderful. You know, for a, for a ten year old kid, you just oh my god, and Abbott's uh, slapping oh. Costello. Um, but Danny Kay, I first saw, and I uh, in I think. I, I don't know if that was the first Danny Kaye movie I saw, The Court Jester. Mm-hmm. But I realized that a comic didn't just do jokes. He, When he sang, he sang a um, lullaby to the baby, mm-hmm. I Will t- Send You Dreaming. And he was so handsome, and he sang so wonderfully. And he was so gentle with the baby and with... Um, I blanked on her name. Glynis Johns. Yes. And... Uh, Everyone in the movie was serious, which is something that I always kept in my mind in doing comedy. If everyone plays it deadly serious and just lets the comedy come out of the situation, nobody was being funny except Danny Kaye. And yeah. he was just reacting to Basil Rathbone oh. and uh, uh, Ray Middleton, but just formidable people. They were yes. angry, and there's real anger with them. And... Um, so he influenced me very much, Danny Kay. Until year, years later, when I would see the movie later, and I said, I could, you know, he may have influenced me, but I could have never done what he did the, the movements, the yeah. dancing, the sword fighting. Um, <clears throat> I don't remember the first movie I ever saw. I would think it was Snow White, mm-hmm. and probably my mother. My mother took me, or my mother and father. But I do remember. Um, being so young that my mother and father, we walked to the local movie theater, mm-hmm. and in the movie there was a scene where it started to rain, and I thought, oh my goodness, how are we going to get home in this <laughs> rain? That's how, wow. <laughs> how young I was. But when you're a kid, you, you didn't know if the people were behind the screen. Or, oh, God. Uh, I, I believed it was... I remember when I very early experienced seeing The Man in the Iron Mask, oh. and I was try, I, I was like, how are they going to get that mask off of him you know oh, when they locked oh. him in the mask or tarzan you know when people would be in quicksand i'd think oh, oh. i'd think there'd be quicksand outside quicksand you never see it outside <laughs> of those movies i don't know if it ex- exists i think it'd be a terrible way to die you're in quicksand, quicksand. and then in the comedy they go down the just that pith helmet is left that, <laughs> that's that's the funny version but tarzan it wasn't and the uh the bad guys in tarzan always smoked cigarettes and were fully dressed. You know, Tarzan was just in a loincloth. Yeah. I loved Johnny Weissmeller as a kid, too. Yeah. He was, uh, he was a, stun- a stunning creature. Yeah. USC an Olympic swimmer. swimmer. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, I was, you know, it's so funny. I didn't know that you, as a kid, went to military school. Yes. That seems very improbable. It but... does seem improbable. <laughs> uh, I, um, I, I, my, my mother had remarried. My father had passed away. And I was I was getting in minor little problems, little scrapes that today would be part of a sitcom, you know. And, uh, <laughs> um, but um, my mother kept saying, "I'm going to send you away to a military school." 
finally one day I said, well, send me. Okay. So then the, the, the pamphlets started to arrive mm. from Valley Forge Military Academy and with cadets with stripes and jumping horses. And I said, oh, what have I got myself into? And one day one came from a place called Kentucky Military Institute. And the selling point was after Christmas, the whole school moved down. It was in Louisville, Kentucky. The whole school moved down to Venice, Florida, mm-hmm. where springtime spends the winter. <laughs> and then there are kids in this, playing in the sand and swimming and volleyball. I said, I think I'd like to go here. So my last two years I went there, and I did have a great time mm-hmm. um, in Florida. And then I, I, in my college years, I... I didn't know whether I could face being in a fraternity at all, and there was a place mm-hmm. called Virginia Military Institute. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I'll go there. It'll be the same kind of fun. Kind of, I needed a structure. It was, it was not. It was the West Point of the South, and I, I, I tried to get out for a year, um, but I, I finally stuck it out, and, sure. uh, but I got to play sports there. I played, I ran the track and cross country yeah. and played on their baseball team, and it was a good, uh, good education. My roommate and I were both liberal arts majors, among a bunch of um, electrical engineering majors and all, and right. we hated it. But I still get the alumni guide, and these guys graduate, and they go overseas to Afghanistan, and they hold up the VMI flag, and I, I was in the wrong place. And uh, uh, God bless them, they, they're, they're our, our military people. Yeah. I don't, I, uh, they used to have a saying there, you wouldn't do it again for a million dollars, but you wouldn't exchange the experience for a million dollars. And uh, are it, I mean, is it like I imagine with the metal tray and the pre- severe uh, barracks and climbing? as a freshman, it was. I don't know if they still have the same hazing. Uh, it was very, very tough. But you had to, there was an honor system, which I always must say I, I made a mistake going to military school. Anytime <laughs> I see someone doing something, you know, he just went through a red light or did, I, it, it, it upsets me. Um, yeah, it was very strict. Yeah, did did they ever show movies? Was there any recreation? Oh or? yes, uh, we had the weekends off, and you'd go into this little town, Lexington, Virginia, and Washington Lee University was down the street. Mm-hmm. And I remember Sunday morning, you had to go to church. You could go to any church. They'd march us to the church, and you'd march us back past Washington and Lee, and always count off with a loud military chant to wake up the fraternity guys <laughs> on a Sunday morning. That's all I remember. Uh, well, I bet you, you you probably, like, so at what point, did, did you ever sort of collect characters in the back of your mind? I must or? have in the back of my mind. I wanted to be a baseball player. Then um, that didn't become a reality. Uh, but I, I, I went to New York, and I got a job. I You know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I thought maybe it'd be a a disc jockey. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the old days where the disc jockey would put on a disc that someone slipped him five <laughs> bucks to play. But you then were... I realized it was programmed by some uh, corporation. And I said, well, maybe I'll go to uh, acting school. Um, what was your question? I got lost. Oh, about collecting characters. characters. Oh, well, I, meanwhile, I had to, to, to pay my way. I got a job which I don't know why I didn't become a, a waiter or work selling playbills or, or be a theater usher in a, in a credit company. Mm-hmm. And the reason I worked there, you could get a day where you have to go out and go to different companies to get credit reports, but it would allow you to go out and go on auditions. So anytime I felt like getting up and leaving the office, mm-hmm. um, 
But the characters I, I accumulated first in the army, the nonsense, uh, senseless rules you had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I re- realized one thing, your sergeant would be the toughest guy to deal with. Uh, the uh, lieutenant would be tough. If you could get to the captain and say, Captain, they're making us do something. Oh, that's nonsense. You know, the higher up the officer, the more reasonable they would be. And the same thing once when you got to a business office. The bosses had these petty ideas. I remember one time, I'll never forget, I was always late. <laughs> and I had a trick. In the summer, I would leave my sport coat, my suit coat, hanging there at night. And I, so I'd come in mm-hmm. like at quarter after nine in my shirt sleeves mm-hmm. and go right down and sit down and pick up the phone. So my boss, who was sitting behind me, would think, maybe I missed. Freddie, he'd call me. I, he'd missed me. coming. I must have been there earlier. <laughs> But one day they got mad that we were, uh, people coming in late, he said, there is never, the boss came out and made a speech, there is never any excuse for anyone to be late. No excuse. The next day there was a snowstorm and all the executives <laughs> came in late. Well, enough said about that, but I always loved uh, senseless yeah. businessmen, and a, a lot of times I played those roles of the I, guy yeah. that, no nonsense, right. no reason for this right. joke. Right, and the wall is no, yeah, no falling need, reason. behind you. Um, but the uh, so but the military served you well when you got cast in uh, Spinal Tap, which exactly. you almost you almost didn't do the do the film. You were gonna. <clears throat> well, they they called my agent called and they said they're doing this movie. Uh, Harry Shearer, Rob Reiner, who I loved, they said they want you to be their their uh, heavy metal outfit. They want you to be uh, this uh, lieutenant at the Air Force Base. And I said, well, I'm going to be the guy who's made fun of. I'm going to be the <laughs> jackass. Well, they just want you to meet. I don't want to do it. And he said, look, they've made a 10-minute reel. Just go out, meet with Harry and Rob Reiner, and who mm-hmm. I loved. Yeah. And I went out, and the, the, the um, secretary said, well, they're out to lunch. They want you to watch this clip. Mm-hmm. And I watched it, and I said, Is this, was this improvised? I couldn't believe it. It was wonderful. And when they came in, I said, I'm in your movie. They said, well, we've got to talk about salary and um, billing. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm in your movie. I want to do it. <laughs> it was uh, just wonderful. So when I played this lieutenant, I tried to play it like a real Army guy would. It would just They have no idea of a show business. To them, show business, that's why I compared them to Four Jacks and a Jill. Yeah. My hair is a little long, so... <laughs> So I, I I knew where that was coming from. So right. uh, I, I was. I love that you always throw in, um, you know, a phrase like two D, you know, three jacks and a jill. That's very old. I love that kind of old timey. Uh... Well, we'd been in in Kansas City for some reason. I think I was making an appearance in Wichita Falls. I was in Kansas City. I was looking through the local where to go and what to do. Yeah. And I think there was a lounge group called Four Jacks and a Jill, <laughs> and they're they're so generic. They're three three kings and a queen, and yeah. Uh, uh, you know, but they turn I, a phrase. Yeah, and you know they're a barrel of love, so- a barrel of love, a barrel of laughs on stage. But I just thought that would be the the one that this officer would uh, think was show business. Isn't there another uh, a story though that they wanted you to do another scene and then they did? Rob Reiner said, "Could you hang around? There's a scene where we shoot a laser beam out and you duck." <laughs> And I said, Rob, my mom's in town from Cleveland. I, you know, she's leaving tomorrow. I just as soon, I, no one was going to see this movie. Right. And when I finally saw it, there was no laser beam. So, uh, but you know, um, you do these movies, and it was just fun. It was improvising, and Michael McKeon, and Harry Shearer, and uh, Christopher Guest. Uh, 
Yeah, every, Bruno Kirby. I mean, the, the the film had like a growing because as I I, I, don't, I don't I think I saw it on its like second third viewing it started to become a cult thing yes well people really would ask rob reiner why didn't you do a a, a documentary about a more popular group (laughs) and i had been in a comedy uh group for four guys and a gal we called ourselves yeah no actually it was called ace trucking company (laughs) and um so when they got into that interstitial fighting and uh someone's girlfriend came in and bookings dropped out i could really relate to that and I guess um, the line about their, where their job was canceled in Boston, he says, that's okay, it's not a college town. I yeah. guess that got brought down the house in Boston. Yeah. There couldn't be more of a college town. Yeah. But they were just trying to justify everything. <clears throat> and everything was done so realistically. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an over-the-top comedy. Mm-hmm. Anything over-the-top was something you could see. They're trapped under the, the, the auditorium in Cleveland. They couldn't find their way. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's happened to all of us. We're uh, of trying course. to find everything, and some Every... guy give him directions, and you end up back yeah. with the same guy <laughs> at the beginning. But uh, yeah, that was great. Now, um, so I was just very pleased to be in that. Um, you mentioned the Ace Trucking Company and uh, the amount of times, like again, that you appeared in sketches, a Johnny Carson show, yeah. also. Um, one of my favorite stories is appearing on Mike Douglas and uh, you were just about to go on and, and uh, Bobby Seale was, well, in addition to Lennon and John it Lennon. Was, it, was the, it was the show where John and Yoko were on and Bobby Seale of the Black Panthers was there and we'd done the, the, the Mike Douglas show several times. He took a train down to Philadelphia and suddenly they were very nervous. They said, we want to see what you're going to do the script and we said we don't have a script we've got to see a script so we had a new manager who was very very frantic like this guys let's get this ready he was upstairs in the lobby making phone calls this was before cell phones and we were sitting around and they, they delayed the show they delayed the show and finally one of the guys says we're going to miss our train back to, uh, to New York City screw it let's walk let's leave yeah that's all. We're, let's, we don't have to do the show we don't need this our manager came down and said, how's it going, guys? We're walking, Marty. What do you mean you're walking? <laughs> he, so <laughs> it got settled. They, they let us do the sketch. But we were very concerned that Bobby Seal was on because one of the, the guys, Billy Saluga, who is, had come up with this character about Raymond J. Johnson. Yeah. You doesn't have to call me Ray. You can call me Jay. You can call me. It was kind of like a um, uh, Amos and Andy sketch. So they were afraid that it would offend Bobby Seale. Turned out Bobby Seale loved it. He wasn't on the show, but he stayed with his Black Panthers. They loved it. Um, So we were on that, and we were also on another highlight show, the famous Johnny Carson show with, I think, Dean Martin and Burt Reynolds, where they ended up spraying uh, shaving cream all over each other. And I watched it. It was in the days when Carson was an hour and a half. Yeah. I said, we're on this show. We're going to die and about a twenty an hour and twenty minutes into it, we came on. We did an eight minute sketch. Got huge laughs. It was a different audience in those days. You didn't have to, you know, in and out. And kind of, then later, I do sketches on Jay Leno, and they told me that they, they have some way of monitoring the show. Mm-hmm. So if the audience kind of slumps, come on, pick it up. It's like that. How can right. you work under that conditions? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if a comic comes on and does five minutes. Two minutes, he hit a subject. You know, it's it's the we lost a hundred people. Come on, speed it up. 
But that's the different the different uh, mindset now. Completely. He used to have authors on, and even he was bored half the time. But if you wanted to watch the author, it was that was. Uh, but around sure. around the time you're on the fiftieth time, you know, were you nervous every time? Oh no, no. Well, yes, we we're always. What we did, we got the, the Ace Trucking Time. We got to the point which was wonderful. They loved us so much. Doc Severinsen loved us. I think he loved Billy Saluga because they yeah. he loved that. That yeah, doesn't have to call me. Yeah, um, we would try out pieces on the Tonight Show, and they would build sets for us. Yeah, which made it hard for us to go then and do at a theater and around this sketch without. Well, we don't have the sets. We don't have the costumes. Anyways, it was a great time, and I've always loved sketch comedy. Ever since I was a kid, when they'd have the shorts, in my day, you'd go on Saturday afternoon to see a double feature, but mm-hmm. the movie would start, you'd have a cartoon, the newsreel, and the shorts. Mm-hmm. The guy behind the the black ball, I forget what it was, and the guy with a slow burn, and uh, the Pete Smith, Pete, Pete Smith specialties. Yes. So I always loved them. Did, did you like Robert Benchley at oh, all? Oh, my God, I loved him. Yeah, but I loved, I, I think I got into him more... I don't know whether I first saw him in the in the sketches, but then reading his stuff. Yeah, uh, it was Very so dry. dry and so bright. But I <laughs> loved him, and um, so then at the same time, that was about the time where where Bob Hope and Bing Crosby were were doing things. It was a little after uh, oh who are those uh, the trio the the the, tri- the three guys the. It was before Abbott and Costello and the Three Stooges. Um, Ritz Brothers? Ritz Brothers. Okay. I never saw much of them. And what I saw, a friend of mine said they're like a stick em up comedy, which explained them. As always, Here's a joke. Here he, here's another gag. Hey, hey. I never got into them. But uh, Three Stooges I loved. Um, and later, when I watched them later, I realized how funny they were. Really, how difficult. Three of them doing sketches. Yeah. Because uh, I tried to write sketches. We would write our own sketches. Um, and then Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, Red Skelton, I loved. Danny Kaye came along. Of course. Loved him. Did you get to meet Bob Hope ever? I Yes. I was in Vancouver doing a Steve Martin movie called Roxanne. Mm-hmm. And I got in the elevator to come down, and there was Bob Hope with, I assume, his daughter, and they were coming down the elevator, and I turned on her face to the front. I said, I'm not going to be a fan. And I said, who am I kidding? He, he's from Cleveland. I'm from Cleveland. I turned around. And I said, Mr. Hope, I'm Fred Willard. I'm from Cleveland also. I'm here in town doing Steve Martin's movie, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I don't <laughs> sure. know whether he, yeah, yeah, that's kind of thing. We got down to the ground, and I started to walk. I went someplace, and I came back, and his daughter had left him standing alone. And there he was. In silhouette, there's the street out there, and he's looking in the store window all by himself. But I got to say um, hello to him. That's the only time I met him. Now, Eugene Love- Levy had a great story that he and um, Dave Thomas got to meet him because Dave Thomas yeah. did Bob Hope. Yeah. He became Bob Hope. And they got to meet him, <laughs> and they went into his hotel room, and Eugene Levy went up. And Eugene Levy is kind of shy anyway. <laughs> He's Mr. Hope. I'm Eugene Levy. I'm with SCTV. I just want to say how much you've influenced young uh, comics, how much we appreciate you. And it's such an honor to meet you. And thank you for allowing us into your room. And uh, we were all great friends. And Bob Hope says, huh? <laughs> so the whole thing, I don't know whether he started off, but it's one of my favorite stories. 
But what a career Bob Hope had. It lived to 100. I mean, you realize his career from a young guy, always, I loved his brashness. I think yeah. he was an ex-semi-pro boxer. He was from Cleveland, mm-hmm. born in England. Yeah. Um, a dancer, again, all around. Oh, he danced. You see him in these movies with Fred Astaire, and he really put in work. And, and years later, he, he just worked off his cue cards, but still... And you'd watch, uh, it's just so great. What a career he had. Yeah, also I think of him one of the first people kind of breaking the fourth wall. That's what I love when he turned to the audience and uh, and talking. And also Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Uh, I, I remember one where at the final scene, Hope is walking down the street and his ex-girlfriend in the baby carriage is Bing Crosby as a little baby. And I go, oh, God, it, was, it just tickled me to, yeah. uh, what they could do. Um, I wanted to ask, so this is something I never asked you about, but I'm extremely curious how the heck you uh, appear as an uncredited extra in the Jacques Demy film, Model oh Shot. Which that, is, <laughs> this film is, of course, you know, been lauded through, they used it in the movie Mad Men, and, and, and you are you're a part of that film. I was, I'd just gotten in Hollywood. I was here a, a couple of months and I had a manager and I'd gone up for a few auditions and I hadn't gotten them. And he said, Fred, he says, maybe you should be a little more over the top when you go in, <laughs> a little more colorful to get their attention. So I had a pair of yellow pants and a, pla- and a checkered shirt. And I walked into the uh, audition there. I knocked on the door and they uh, just come in and Jack to me was sitting on the couch, kind of slumped down with a hat. And he didn't even uh, um, question me. Someone said, Fred, tell us what you've done. I said, well, I've done some sketches. I was on the Ed <laughs> Sullivan show. I've done nightclubs. Uh, you know, I played in Mr. Kelly's in Chicago. And, I, you know, I'm doing this and that. And that. Well, Thank you very much. I said, okay. And I walked out. And someone came up, someone who knew me. And they said, what are you doing? He said, I was just auditioning for the Jacques Demy film. He said, oh, that's right. He's looking for very real people. <laughs> But he gave he gave me a part in um, I was the gas station attendant and I think I had a line or two I came yeah. out and was washing his windows and I looked he was looking at photos that he'd taken and I think I had a line and after the first showing they cut my line off so it just as you say an uncredited uh, yes uh, were yeah. you aware of of his impact I mean not he, really I kind of knew the name I mean yeah. I was who new to L A and um, I know yeah he's a French director yeah. and. Uh, uh, I love foreign films. I mm-hmm. just even when I was younger, which is quite strange. I remember I was in the army and I dro- I was in Fort Collins, Colorado. Drove all the way to um, where's the beautiful part of Colorado, the Broadmoor Hotel, to see oh, um, yes. to see the movie uh, Diabolique. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the original? I did. Scared the heck out of me. Frightening film. And everyone in the audience. Um, it's not so frightening now. I guess the, the, the more frightening things. I always loved. Uh, Frightens me. The yeah, comes when he back. comes, wires out of that bathtub. You see, oh my god. <laughs> um, but I always loved foreign films. I was never scared off by the uh, subtitles. Um, I loved to, to read. I said one time, I said, I always thought it was breaking news. Um, but that's just for a joke. <laughs> and the other director, uh, again, uh, unbelievable that you briefly worked with Robert Aldrich in another in a neo noir film called Hustle, which is another un kind of uncredited 
Uh, you That's have, how I know Robert Aldrich. Yeah. I think Burt Lancaster, not uh, Burt Reynolds. Reynolds was in that. Yes. One of the other members of the Ace Trucking Company and I were in it. We had a, some scene. They, they'd seen us on stage. Yeah. And I remember sitting in the big room with Burt Reynolds. He couldn't have been nicer. And he, he talked to us for a long time. I have no memory of what we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, hustle, yeah. That, uh, that, did you have any memory of Robert Aldrich? I mean, he was I'm a, a little confused director. with him and Robert Altman. Who I, I'm watching this series, The Feud. Yes. Was that Robert Altman? No, that's Robert Aldrich. Oh, I wish I'd known that then. I've gotten hooked on The Feud. Yes. I didn't think I'd watch it, but you can't help it. It's so... So good. So, so good and so bad. The actors are so... When someone is doing something bad, you know they're... Well, dear, I wouldn't want to inconvenience you. You know, I want to say, just do the lines. But I think they're appealing to kind of a... It's like a cartoon. Yeah. But it's hooked us in that. We we won't miss. And what they've done, my wife and I rented Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which really helps when you watch the film. Because you see how they rebuilt the set. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love Susan Sarandon as Betty Davis. Yeah. I wish Joan Crawford was playing herself because I love Joan Crawford. She was, I thought she was very pretty yeah. and very, uh, but, um, and, and uh, Alfred Molina. Yes, as Aldrich. Is, is wonderful. So I worked with as, him. Who, who would have known? So as, With Robert Aldrich, and you didn't even know it. Maybe if they do a second season, they'll say <laughs> the, the hustle years when he. Met Fred Willard. There you go. Uh, and and Stanley Tucci doing as uh, the best when he's playing uh, the Jack Warner. Oh my God! He, I mean, because he's no nonsense. He's he's Jack Warner. Yeah, I love. Oh, like that. good heavens! Yes. Um. Okay. So let's. I want to go back a little bit to the uh, to the the Chris Gas movie. So you're in. You do. Um. Uh. You did this as Spinal Tap. And then after that... First one is Waiting for Guffman. Was Waiting for Guffman. That's the how- first one that Chris directed. And he called me and he said, I'm doing this uh, movie, Fred. Uh, I'd like you to come down. And, uh, to- <laughs> so I got down and I'd just seen him do some character on um, Saturday Night Live with Corky St. Clair, I think it was called. Yeah. Where he and Marty Short were in, the, in a uh, restaurant being very... You know, over the top. Oh, look at her! Look. Yeah. And I saw. I came in. I just started talking about that. I said it was so wonderful. Was that improvised? He says, "Well, actually, yes. This was Christopher Guest at his most withdrawn. Yes, it was. <laughs> and we are doing another movie like that. And we thought of you to come in. So I said, "Whoa, great!" He says, "There's no script. It's um, improvised." And my first thought was, "Oh, good. I don't have to memorize lines." And he says, uh, we think Catherine O'Hara will do it. You're the first one we... I was the first one they booked. And he said, uh, I, I talked over the script with Martin Short. And Martin loved it. And he said, all right, let's do it. And I said, no, Martin, I want to get people who, who nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, then, then I went home and I, I started preparing it. And we went did it in Austin, Texas... And it was, again, it's a movie that uh, Catherine was out of it and into it and out mm-hmm. of it and into it. And I called her and I said, Catherine, we should probably get together. Mm-hmm. I left a message. And so, get, you know, we we're supposed to be husband and wife, and she mm-hmm. never returned my call. We got to Austin. We started doing it. Our first day, we had our interview. 
And on the ride back to the hotel, she said, Fred, maybe we should sit down and talk about, you know, what, yeah. so we, we're on the same page. But it was so much fun being there, and uh, it was another movie that I thought no one is ever going to see. We're just, it was Eugene being Eugene, and Catherine, and right. Bob Balaban, and me making up lines. No one's ever going to watch this. Um, oh, anyway, that, that was my memory. And it did take quite a while for it to come out, because Castle Rock... I think they were the producers. They didn't know what they had, and it was mm-hmm. improvised, and Christopher Guest, and so it came out about a year and a half later. And it wasn't a big hit, but the important thing, it was um, everyone in the industry seemed to love it. Yes. Which is like, today, if something comes out, it's on the cable, and only a million people watch it, and but the industry loves it. Boy, it, everyone works. And I started getting calls, and everyone just loved me then. Yeah. And then after uh, Best in Show... I got a call from <clears throat> Helen Hunter. Is that a right name or not Helen Hunt? Uh, there's Helen Hunt. There's Helen Mirren. No, Helen H. Helen Hunter, I think. She, it, it, Billy loves Bobby. Bobby Riggs, the, the tennis yes. match. She's, we want you to play um, uh, Howard Cosell. Uh-huh. I said, oh, I can't do that. Billy Crystal does a wonderful Howard yeah. Cosell. No, no, we want you. No, there's probably 20 stand-up comments. Because everyone was doing, how I'd go sell. <laughs> they pushed me and pushed me. Finally said, okay, I'll do it. Only because they thought I'd been on Best in Show and I was this crazy announcer. Um, funny. But I, I, I got my impression of Howard Cosell from the odd couple that he appeared on. Yeah. And also there was a sportscaster out here at the time who always played a little clip of Howard Cosell say, saying, who goofed? I've got to know. <laughs> So I kind of got into his rhythm, and I uh-huh. didn't want to make a cartoon of him, and neither did she. She, They, they, they gave a, me a bad wig, and they, uh-huh. she made him go back and give a, a better hair. Yeah. Thing. So I think I did a pretty good job trying to be Howard Cosell and not being a cartoon about, of Howard Cosell. But it's wonderful what comes to you when you, when you do something that it gets very popular. Yeah. People insist you do. No, no, I can't do that. <laughs> Well, so how do you start with, we were talking about this at the beginning, so it's going to be improvised. Do you start with the exterior of the character, what you're going to look like, the backstory? You take what Christopher Guest gives you. A perfect example was uh, Best in Show. He said, you probably coached a uh, third division football team. And I thought, well, it'd probably be funnier Mm. if I was uh, actually played maybe one season in in, the the big leagues, mm-hmm. uh, really a, a pretty good pro, mm-hmm. um, uh, because then I put my mindset into what a professional athlete would think his audience, this audience of the dog show, would be interested in, <laughs> completely off the thing. And uh, I did the same thing in um, A Mighty Wind. Mm-hmm. He said, you probably owned a little comedy club. And I thought to myself, it might be funny if I had a series that ran maybe 13 weeks, 10 years ago, that nobody remembered, and I assumed the whole world was still talking about, which I think is always something funny if someone comes in with a feeling that they're much more recognized and important than what they are. Yes. So I think I started, let's get this out of the way. Hey, what happened? (laughs) All right. Uh, uh, Everyone's probably saying, what? No, I wouldn't. So that, that's what you do. You add your own character, and you don't right. go back to Christopher Guest and say, I thought I'd expand it. You just do it. You just do it, yeah. Um, you, 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 you decide what you want to wear. He'll come in and check. Uh, 
he might not like it, but you, mm. you know, by that time it's we're shooting the next day. Um, is he a laugher? Is he? Is no, he, he will not laugh. Uh, oh, see, that's tough. I would find wow. that tough. <clears throat> but I, I, uh, best in show, Jim Pittick and I were doing. We did it in about four or five hours. He would come up and he'd say, "Okay, we're going to uh, do that again." I said, "Was that funny?" And he had this weird, <laughs> "No." <laughs> will it be used in the movies? He walked away. He said, no. I said, "Well, do I re- 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 reuse the same jokes or do whatever you want?" So the next morning, I went down to breakfast, and uh, um, Karen Murphy, the producer, mm-hmm. came. Well, first I was sitting there, and I heard someone doing a bad uh, Sylvester, uh, no, an Arthur Schwarzenegger uh, improvisation. Mm-hmm. I looked up; it was Arthur. It was uh, um, Arnold Schwartz, Arnold Schwarzenegger, with his entourage sitting a table away from me. <laughs> and I still remember his joke. He said, "Some one of his guys is he bought a stationary bicycle six months ago, and it's still stationary." <laughs> Now, I'm a big fan of his. I really, I think he's great. <laughs> Karen Murphy came over and sat down. I said, that's Arthur Schwartz. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she said, you know, yesterday I've never seen Christopher Guest laugh as hard as he did behind the camera. I said, geez, I would have known that. She said, the cameraman, the camera was shaking. We had to settle down. But he, he doesn't want to give in. Now, the yeah. last few movies I've done with him, we did uh, Family Tree and then Mascots. He'll come up. He's much more easygoing. He'll kid with me. I'll kid yeah. with him. So I think he's um, he's a little more giving. I think yeah. he was always kind of confused with me. He he knew I was doing something funny. Well, you're so dry, and I was saying, yeah. uh, you know, before that, we're working with you, it's you now you you just it comes out so straight, but it's so funny. Yeah. Well, I li- I like to always kind of <laughs> jog him. I'll say, uh, this isn't going to be cut out, isn't it? Why didn't I? <laughs> I'd call him if something was cut out of a movie. And then we were doing something else, and he had some sound problem. I said, well, what you can do, we can go to looping and get this. Now, um, Chris, looping, I don't know if you know what that is, where you go into a studio, <laughs> and he just stands there. And I said, you know, you, they, they show it on a big screen. It's difficult. So he, he kind of, I, what I would love is to be part of his social group. I, I've never was, you know, come on over and hang out with the guys. Uh, yeah. Because I, I I would love to be because I, I love his sense of humor. He's he's so bright and they're 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 so bright. Um, After you do uh, a certain amount of movies, do you have to keep the different characters? You say, well, oh, okay, well I did this with this guy. Now I dyed my hair. I tried and- to do the last one. Uh, yeah, you try to change. You don't know, but then <clears throat> we did something on the Academy Awards. I think it was Billy Crystal's idea. A focus group focusing on uh, the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> and he called me. I was in Cleveland doing something with Martin Mull, and Billy Crystal called. I said, "Oh my God, what?" I'd kind of known Billy for years, mm-hmm. and he said, "You're a focus group on the Wizard of Oz," and that's all they told me. So I started thinking, and then I realized I said, "Everybody is going to put it down." I said, "I was reading. I was reading this book about." Um, uh, Heidi Ho, Heidi Hey. Oh, Cab Calloway. Cab Calloway, yeah. fascinating how how um, cutting edge he was in the '30s. He yeah. was ahead of everything with his jazz and his mm-hmm. jive and his, his his language. And I said, I'll be one of Cab Calloway's uh, horn section. And I love the movie because I love the flying monkeys. <laughs> how did they get those monkeys to fly? And uh, I don't know, was it me? It, it, it suddenly seemed to turn into color, man. 
I'd like to know what they gave me before. So I, I think I took the right tech because everyone else oh. put down the movie. So then I, I tried to do that in Mascots, his last movie. I thought I'd be a laid-back jazz musician. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it played because so much... I, I seem to have lost some energy in it, though. They had some funny scenes that uh, they, they kept in, but uh, I, it's another it's a character I'd like to try again, a Cab Calloway musician. I, lo- I love that. I was, I was going to ask you, is there something, some character you'd love to invent? Yeah, I think. well, I've loved the characters I've done. I, I, loved, I loved the clueless athlete. Uh, uh, the jazz musicians always fascinated me. Mm-hmm. There's a saying, of course, a comic: if you make the band laugh, you're not doing well. Right. Which I love that because musicians are so. Not only have I always admired them as musicians, mm-hmm. but their great sense of humor. Do you watch documentary? I mean, documentaries make me laugh sometimes. About just any. I, I love. love doc- yes, I do. We're currently watching documentary about World War One. And my God, you can't believe it's like a horror film. And enough, but uh, World War II was worse. It, it's, a ma- it's a miracle that America is not occupied by Germany and Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were unarmed. We were they, Anyway, documentaries, yes, I love them. Uh, I was trying to watch this documentary about comedians. They seemed to preempt it every week for CNN. I don't know. Yeah. The guy that did it, um, his name escapes me. Um, he interviewed me. He put a oh yes, book. Uh, Cliff. We've had him Cliff, here on the yeah. show, Cliff, Cliff Nesteroff. Yes, what background yeah. he did, and we saw him at the the uh, TCM, TCM Film Festival. And I said, "What's happened?" He says, "I don't know. They're going to rerun it." Um, it's fascinating. Yes. So to answer your question, I love documentaries. Do you think that um, you know, as as current events change, is it harder to make people laugh? Like we all have the same references, you know. I mean, if as a kid you think Abbott and Costello or Bob, you know, Hope uh, and Crosby are funny, but when we're doing these improv movies, yeah, you know, it, it's got to be more cutting edge. Uh, that you can do a lot more in in the movies, um, say a lot more, but comedy is still comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking I watched um, uh, Louis C.K. on uh, Saturday Night Live. He did a joke about uh, uh, um, what's the one with the long neck? neck the long animal what? giraffe. The giraffe. Yes. How uncomfortable it must be. I mean, you could they make <laughs> little kids laugh with that in 1930. Yes. Uh, it's still funny. Funny is funny. Funny observations. Um, but I think today, movies, for the younger people, they have to get more raunchy and raunchy and, and do something. Oh, my God, I can't believe. And it's the more the reaction is, I can't believe they're showing that on the movies. Right. Rather than, oh, my God, is that funny? Right. Uh, but I'll go to watch them and, and enjoy them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the situation being funny. Yeah. I, same with blue humor. If it's a midnight show at the improv, mm-hmm. I'll be the first one there. Buyer beware. But I've done some um, charity things. Uh, yeah. Eight o'clock for people who come. They're well dressed and they're they come. And they donate money. They're doctors. They're they're people who are suffering from the disease. And the comics get up and are so blue. It's like gang rape. It's like uh, no, don't do it here. Do yeah. it at the Improv at one in the morning. Yeah. I'll be there to see it. Dave Vitell. If da- Dave Vitell didn't do it, but yeah. and I won't mention who did it. But uh, a couple of comics who weren't invited back. Um, and that's my, I'll get off the soapbox there. 
Uh, in preparing for this, I didn't know what you'd ask me. I, there was a couple of actresses had great names. Heather Angel, did you ever, back in the 30s. No. And Trixie Forganza in the <laughs> silent movies. I loved silent movies. One of my favorite silent movie actresses was Mabel Normand. Oh, a great comedian. Yes. Um, what else did I? Are want? you interested in um, like I I'm I always like Hollywood um, stories. You know, um, Bella Lugosi living in a oh god, a I small love apartment yeah. and yes, you know, uh, Dick Cavett was to say you know used to visit Stan Laurel. Yes, everyone Let, seemed to visit Stan Laurel down in San because yeah. he was in the phone book. Yeah, he was in the phone book. I didn't know that I was here when he was living there. I would have, could have, but uh, you know, it's it's, it's so great. Um, yeah, I love and I love uh, the old the documentaries about the old movies and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, those old, those guys were fascinating. Bella Lugosi. The uh, well, <laughs> and my of course my interview would not be complete if we didn't talk about your work on uh, Fernwood tonight, of course, and your chemistry with uh, and friendship with uh, Martin, Martin Mull, Mull, which is my God. So I remembered his name. <laughs> that good, otherwise. Uh, yeah. You know, but uh, in terms of Fernwood tonight, again, talk about comedy. Mm. Did you ever do anything that was just? I mean, because that's I discovered that show when I was a kid, and oh. it just was like I. Did can't, you think it was a real talk I, show? I thought it was that's, real. That's what yeah. we were trying to. I completely thought it was real, mm-hmm. and then I had discovered, you know, because I was a kid, that yeah. I discovered this hip thing that nobody knows about, yeah. and and that was exactly what it was intended. That's what they were trying to do. Now, it yeah. was on at the same time as um, The Gong Show. A lot of people don't know that Alan Thicke was the on-hands direct. He was the producer, mm-hmm. but he was on the floor directing, and he and Martin Mull would get into it. If they'd bring on a guest from The Gong Show, Martin would get so mad. He says, I just saw them on The Gong Show. People have to believe these are real people who live in Fernwood. Yeah. And we tried to do it. Uh, occasionally, we'd get a celebrity. And then Norman Lear, it was supposed to be just a summer replacement. Yeah. And it was so popular. Again, it's a show I didn't think anyone would watch. We were just doing it on a little studio on Sunset Boulevard, which is now a high school football field at KT uh, yeah. TV. Uh, and they'd fill the first three roles. They'd get old ladies, no men off the street because they wanted <laughs> to be the show from Fernwood. And we 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 done about thirty or forty of them before they started to air, and they yeah. got, became so popular. And then Norman Lear decided to do it a second year, but all his celebrity friends loved it so much. He says, "How are we going to justify that they're in Fernwood, Ohio?" So he changed it to uh, a town in uh, Alta uh, Coma, California, right? Uh, the unfinished furniture capital of the world of the. And so all these celebrities stopped by, and it was just wonderful to work. Charlton Heston and uh, Burt Lancaster, I met, who was my hero. He was my favorite star. And I introduced him at something, at some news thing. I said, Burt Lancaster, you star of trapeze and uh, this and that. And I turned to him, I said, Burt, I'm sorry, I didn't didn't get time to memorize the whole (laughs) list you gave me. And he looked at me, and he came over and he grabbed me, and he picked me up like that and put me down. Uh, but you you uh, you get cocky, you'd kid with him like that, and everyone, almost every star and somebody who came on got the joke and played along with it. Right. A few would just take it as a chance to promote their latest movie, but it was um, it was great fun. The second season, and then they decided it was making money, but not enough money. Norman Lear left to do something else, and they did. Um, I'm blanking again. Uh, the guy who left. 
Mash to do the show. Oh, uh, um, McLean uh, Stevens. McLean Stevens, who was yes. a wonderful guy. He came on. It was yeah. It was what was the name of a show? They wanted me to be on it, or they wanted me to be on some other show, and I just re- didn't want to do it. I remember, of course, it just it was so out there. You had the guy in the, <laughs> the iron, you had the guy, the dancing girl around the man in the iron lung. Was, oh, that's was the biggest the most, hardest I ever laughed. That's one of the most disturbing. Baby Irene, you remember that? Well, yeah. We, I was. It was about a second or third show, and Norman Lear was on the set. He, later, he, 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 he. At first show or two, he wanted to be like a sitcom. Yeah. They talked him out of that. This let it be like a regular show. Mm. Baby Irene came on. We had the guy in an iron lung. He wasn't. <laughs> there was a comedian, but his facility was playing the piano backwards. Yes. And Martin Mull introduced him as his laid with his laid back piano style. <laughs> so we came out of commercial. You came out of commercial, and all you hear is, <laughs> and you pan over, and there's Baby Irene tap dancing, holding the plug that she'd pulled out of the wall. And Norman Lear came down. He says, "Hold it, cut! You, we can't do that. He's in an iron lung." So there was about a 15 minute argument, and I started to laugh. <laughs> It's like being in church with something at a funeral. You shouldn't laugh. You yeah. start to laugh. And it was so funny. The baby Irene, clueless, and she probably didn't know what she had. She was holding the plug to the iron lung. Yeah. I still remember laughing so hard my stomach hurt. And they finally, I don't know what they did. They settled for doing something else. But, yeah, yeah. it was on. I think they kind of left that in. But Well, it I mean, had those kind of old cinematic references, you know, like somebody that would be in an iron lung. It yeah. just seemed so improbable, you know. Um, but, yeah, that was... My God, what an amazing show. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, finally, I'm just going to, uh, I could be talking to you forever and ever, but uh, you, we both worked with uh, Jerry Lewis and, and Max Rose, another yeah. great um, comedy icon. That what was, was that like? That was, I was thrilled when I was asked to do that, and I was so scared. I didn't know whether he was directing or not. Yes. And I thought he's going to, he had this, you know, uh, image of being explosive. Yeah, and I so I wanted to know my lines, and I didn't want, and I went on the uh, at the where the, the trailers were, and the direct uh, the director he the other I forget his name the one who actually was directing the writer Daniel no yeah he said do you want to meet Jerry I said sure and I walked in and Jerry Lewis was holding a newspaper in front of his face lowered it and he had a red clown's nose on <laughs> I guess he was either trying to make me laugh or trying to make me feel at ease yeah. And he was very nice. I talked, and then we we went to work that day on the set. And the director said, uh, "Now you're going to have a problem with Jerry. Um, he can't remember lines." Mm-hmm. And that was actually a relief to me. I said, "Oh, good. So he's not going to say, how dare you walk on the set unprepared? You know who I am.'" Yes. So he had these lines, and I would say the, the my line. He would look at me off stage. They had a prompter who would read his line to him, and who, that he would repeat to me. Yeah. Now, so much for actor studio acting and getting in the moment. It seemed I haven't, I never saw the movie, but it, it came along as pla- yeah. plausible. Yes. Um, and I did a second scene with him uh, the, a couple of days later, uh, and it's funny. A sidebar. And then a final funny story about the Jerry Lewis. A sidebar, you talk about acting and uh, uh, studying and getting in the character and building character from within, without. Some of my favorite moments, I saw a movie called, I think, Stealing Home or something, 
Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle played themselves. I think it was the year after Roger Maris hit 61 home runs. They played themselves. They came on. They were wonderful. A screen presence. Um, they did their part well. I, I don't know if they had a coach to run lines. They weren't wooden at all. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you do see actors doing a commercial. They were wooden. Shop now. Get your deal. Uh, get a deal down at Honda's. But so much. You just come on. Some great actor once said, know your lines, hit your mark, and say your lines. Anyway, the follow-up to the Jerry Lewis movie. Um, I'd heard that it, it was shown at Cannes, got a standing ovation, but panned by the critics. Uh, two years later, we, my wife and I, just a couple of months ago, we were watching, and Claire Bloom was on. Someone mentioned Claire Bloom. And I said, uh, God, Claire Bloom, I never really, she was in the movie. Yeah. The next morning I was eating breakfast, the phone rang, it was the director, David. Daniel. Daniel. Yes. Fred, Daniel, and I didn't register at first. He said, I directed um, <laughs> Friends of Max Rose. I said, oh, yeah, my first thought was, oh, he wants me to do another movie I, for no money. I did it for no money. to meet Jerry. I said, we're just talking with Claire Bloom. Yes, yes. He said, well, good news and bad news. I said, he said, we're doing it at the... Uh, Cinematique, but bad news. I thought, oh God, Jerry's sick. He says, we cut both of your scenes. And I said, oh, oh okay. He said, I felt so terrible. They were so wonderful. So <laughs> this was the wrong thing. They were so wonderful. And, we cut, and I said, well, okay, I understand. No, I feel so bad. We're going to send you the scenes to look at. Blah, blah. Okay. So oh, a week later, Phone called again. Fred, it's Daniel. Was it named Daniel? I probably <laughs> yeah. Daniel. How yeah. are you? <laughs> I said, he's I directed uh, Friends of Max. Yes. Listen, I'm doing another movie. Uh, did you ever get to your scenes, the outtakes? I said, no, I never did. Oh, someone messed up. I'll get them over to you. I want you to be in my movie. I got a couple of scenes. I promise you won't be cut. So I, I said, yes, of course I will, which I really meant to. Yeah. A few days later, I asked. My wife, I said, whatever happened to the, the movie? She said, he was offering $100 a day for two days. Your agent turned it down. I said, I would like to talk to him and say, I just can't for yeah. 100 I think background people get $100 a day. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so he probably thought, oh, Fred was too good to do my movie because I cut him out. But then later we read a review of the original before I was cut. They, they, gave, they mentioned my scene and um, Mort Saul's scene is... Two scenes that were kind of credible that uh, they interacted with Jerry in person. I don't know why he cut it out. It's the worst feeling. You must know when something's cut out of a movie. Terrible. It's like you come out of a, the doctor's office and they've cut out part of your body. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. You Sometimes they'll cut out your best line. It, it, well, they usually do. Yeah. You know, or your they, best scene. Um, yeah. Someone once, once told me uh, they, they've taken a movie just because a scene, and they'd see the movie, and they cut the scene out. It's a, yes. I don't know. I guess you have to produce your own film. Well, yeah. sometimes you luck out. I know in the in the one of the DVDs they have the re, you reenact. Well, that helps. The, yeah. They you reenact the 1960 World Series yes. on one of the. <laughs> I forgot which one that. It was is. a game-winning home run. I had Catherine O'Hara pitch a wiffle ball yeah. to me and narrated it. Yeah. Uh, pretty funny. And I thought it was the high point of the movie, and it was cut out. I know it's it's it is it's so hard. Okay, speaking of cutting out, 
We're, I hate to do this, but uh, we're going to have to go, Fred. We got other people waiting, Fred. Next in line. There, next in line. Number 23. Who's up next? There are snacks to be consumed out We've there. We've got Sunny. Thank you for the Sunny snacks. Tufts is waiting out in the. Sunny Tufts. Wouldn't that be exciting? <laughs> Some of those people that are uh, forgotten that there was great names. Toady Fields. Toady Fields. It's another great one. Yes. Uh, you please. can find Fred on Twitter at yes. Fred underscore Willard. I'll be gabbing about this. How about that? I came on prepared. They shuffed me off after 10 minutes. (laughs) It has not been 10 minutes. It's been far longer than 10 minutes. I knew there was trouble when the producer said, leave your car running. It'll be okay. (laughs) Park in the red zone. uh, Eliana is very busy. We'll never come back now. We'll make better snacks Thank you for inviting me. Anytime. Anytime you want to talk about obscure movies. I love obscure horror films that don't have a star. I don't want to go if they have a star. I like... Yeah. Obscure old time movies. I'm a big fan of old time movies. Eddie Brant's, you know, you must know Eddie oh, Brant's. You the get best it. Eddie Brant's video. I've never it. gone there and asked for something that they don't have it. Ah, yeah, here it is down there. Yes, no, no, no. They have uh, they have everything. You know, it's so funny when you were saying the thing about uh, Daniel Noah. I remember when I had called you to ask you to be in because we met through Celebrity Autobiography, and, yes. and I mentioned my web series. And I, 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 when I wanted someone to play the fictional head of IKEA, I, I could, remember that. I couldn't think of it. I said only Fred Willard could play this and make it believable. I had to do a Swedish accent. Yes, and it was okay. And, uh, Okia, what was it? Ikea. 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 And I walked in, the, the, the security guard out front had a perfect Swedish accent. I thought, and he had gray hair. I said, You should go up and be doing my part. <laughs> but I think I passed, didn't I? I mean, oh, I was no one. You were fantastic. Oh, good. Thank you. Because that's what I mean. Anyone, you know, it was when you, you would like to imagine that the fictional head, Ingvar. Sports or whatever his made-up name was. It was kind of a sad scene. I remember. I was kind of sad. Uh, Yeah, it was sort of sad. You, but then, uh, but sad but funny at the same. Oh, it was good. good. At the same time, we had. uh, Well, I was sad because we had had uh, we'd been shut down by the union that day. We had like a sort of a little mini crisis on set, and then we regrouped and we came back together. Oh, good, good. So I and that was quite popular for uh, that series ran. Then you got to go to Sweden yourself, which is so great. Which is so bizarre that I would write a scene, yeah, where I would go get to go to Sweden. And I think you mentioned on the set that you always had dreamed of going to Sweden, and and that's a dream. The whole thing, doing the the show, literally everything that happened on the show. I had a fictional talk show. I ended up doing that on TCM. Every everything I wrote. So I advise came it. True. Yeah, everything yeah. That's uh, wonderful. kind of came true. And I get Amazing. to meet you and talk yeah. to you and continue yeah. to work with you. Absolutely. Anyway, thanks so much, Fred, Thank for you, being Fred. here. Thank you. Also, you can buy Ileana's book, I Blame yes, Dennis Hopper, on Amazon and in bookstores. Um, also, like us on our Facebook Please page. Please like Check us. out our website, ilianaspodcast.com. And that is all I have to say. Yes, everyone's life is like a movie with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And uh, this is ours. And Thank a you. bad third act, someone once said. It's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Are we off? They're like Moss Hart. And we're off. We're off Have now. a great day, Thanks, everyone. everybody. See you uh, next I, I time. Did, I loved your book. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.